Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. call it 1 Kings 11, the promise paradox. The promise paradox. First off, what is a paradox? A paradox is a statement that appears to contradict itself, but upon reviewing it, it starts to make sense. Uh, Let me give you an example of a paradox. One example is saying less is saying more. You've probably heard that. It seems to contradict itself on both sides, but when you think about it for a minute, yeah, sometimes saying less does say more. Or how about the louder you are, the less they're going to hear. That's a paradox. Sounds against each other, but no, it makes sense. It works itself out in the end. Don't don't confuse a paradox with an oxymoron. An oxymoron are just two contradictory words that are just against each other no matter what. A paradox uh, is different. Uh, uh, Oxymoron is like jumbo shrimp or Microsoft works. And there's one, there's an oxymoron that I say all the time, pretty ugly. It doesn't work. That's an oxymoron. But those are just words that are against each other and don't work themselves out. A paradox is a statement, a statement that seems to be contradictory, but it does work itself out. And we're going to see a paradox situation that God is going to work out. First Kings 11, verse 26, Jeroboam's rebellion. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the millo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. First off, what I see here is that he was a man of valor and Solomon made him do industrial work. It's like, dude, I'm a fighter, not a builder. But he had a problem with Solomon. But whatever Jeroboam's grievances actually were that we can try to figure out from the context, we need to be attentive to the bigger picture. It's simply that the Lord raised up adversaries against Solomon and Jeroboam just became one of them. So don't bury yourself so deep in the details that you forget the bigger picture at hand, okay? 1 Kings eleven twenty nine. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took a hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Guys, when you tell people who your God is, tell them 
who He is, the God of Israel. Specify. Every religion out there has their own G-O-D. Call Him who He refers to Himself as, the God of Israel. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one, one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chimos, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments." as did his father David. You know, you hear people speak on terms of relativism. Well, in my eyes, it's like, that. I don't care about your eyes. God's eyes. He says he didn't do what was right in my eyes, said the Lord. Now, this moment here, it kind of reminds me a little bit back when uh, the kingdom was torn away from King Saul. If you remember Saul, he tore part of Samuel's robe off of him, and Samuel said that that's just exactly how the kingdom's going to be torn away from you for your sin. So Jeroboam is going to get, he took 10 pieces of cloth, he's going to get 10 tribes, and one will go to Solomon's son, is where that's going to go. Now, I know we're looking at 10 tribes, and he took 10 pieces of cloth, and there's actually 12 tribes because he tore it into 12 pieces, and so you have this 10 plus 1 equals 11 thing. It seems like there's a missing piece here. But in that time, that smallest tribe of Benjamin and Judah, they were both in the same region, and so they were both collectively referred to as the region of Judah. So the last two pieces of cloths are going to be called Judah. Jeroboam gets 10, uh, Benjamin and Judah goes to Solomon's son. So Jeroboam gets 10 tribes, Solomon would get Judah, which consisted of Benjamin and Judah together. And God's reason for taking the kingdom away from Solomon was based on a warning that God gave him. This didn't just pop up, oh, surprise, you're in trouble. God warned him. He told him up front. And I want, you, I want us to read that back, back a couple chapters now in 1 Kings 9. Here's the warning. He said, I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying... You shall not be deprived of a man on the throne of Israel, but if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have placed before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut Israel off from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name. I will expel from my sight. You want to make God mad? Go follow other gods. You got it. Now, in these terms, we see warning. We see warning. Don't do this. Here's what I'm going to do if you do this. But we also see God's promise to David. God does not forget his promises, even when he issues warning like that. God's promise was to keep someone on that throne in Israel, that someone is going to be there. And that throne was in the, within the region of Judah. That's where that throne was at. It was not going to be within the regions that Jeroboam would get. It's not going to be within Jeroboam's 10 tribes that he will receive. So since God promised to keep that throne in David's line, then God has to uphold it because God, he cannot break a promise once he makes it. People say, oh, there's nothing God can't do. Yes, there is. God cannot break a promise. 
because he can't lie. There's some things he, once he promises, he has to make it fit. It's got to work. So if Solomon turned away, then God said he would cut off Israel from the land that he gave him. So there's the paradox. How was God supposed to keep his covenant promise to keep someone on the throne of Israel if he also promised to cut Israel off from the land? There's your paradox. They seem to contradict each other. So think of it this way. How can God bless and curse at the same time on the same entity or the same group or person? That's the paradox of God's promises here. They seem to be against each other, but he's going to work them out. I think it will help us understand this a little better if we look at when God told David how he would deal with Solomon. He had already told David this way back in 2 Samuel 7 and 14. This is what he says about him. He said, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be, there's the promise, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He said it twice to make sure he got it. This throne thing of yours, David, is not going away. I'm going to keep it. But if Solomon messes up, I got to judge him. There's your paradox. How's this going to work? So now, all these adversaries that are being raised up against Solomon, they're going to be this rod of men that he was talking about, the the blows of the sons of men. You know, some of you that can remember what the rod means, it means you're going to get a spanking, means you messed up and you're going to get whooped, okay? It means you hit them. And with the blows of men, the, the, the rod and the blows, it means you're going to hit them. God basically said, if Solomon sins, I'm going to spank that boy. And I'm going to use these rebellious men are going to be the paddle. Hey, dad and Rezon, we read earlier in the chapter, they became adversaries already. And now here comes 10 more weapons from Jeroboam because he just got 10 pieces of cloth that's going to be taken away from Solomon. But God restricted Jeroboam to take only 10. He didn't let Jeroboam have all of it, just 10. Why? Because God keeps his promises. He's got to keep that line of David. Jeroboam is not in the line of David. He's going to keep that line of David all the way till the Messiah comes back. He's going to hold that. So that's why Jeroboam didn't get it all. I want you to look in 1 Kings 11, 11 and 34. Here's why he didn't get all 10. It says, however, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him, talking about Solomon, I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, 10 tribes, And to his son, I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. First off, he's not going to take it away from Solomon, but he's going to take it away from his son. How many of you for a millisecond thought, man, that's not fair. (laughs) What did his son do? Just want you to hold on to that for a minute. He's going to put it on, on his son. 
This is how God's going to work out the paradox promise. By keeping one tribe for Solomon's son to rule in Jerusalem, and then that way God could keep his covenant promise to David while at the same time executing judgment on Solomon. So you see how the paradox actually works out. God had a way to to do it. Two seemingly opposing situations, but God knows what he's doing, guys. God knows how to keep his promises. Aren't you glad of that? I'm so glad he does. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if he couldn't. 1 Kings eleven thirty seven. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be. If you, here we go again. If you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight. We've heard this before. To keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. See how he's making David the standard here. As my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, which means a family, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Okay, Jeroboam kind of got somewhat the same terms that David did, but the only difference is that the covenant that God made with David was unconditional. It was an unconditional covenant. What that means is it was not dependent on what David did. David messed up. He committed adultery. He murdered all these bad things. He did stay true to the Lord God, but God says, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this work. I'm going to hold this. David's dead, guys. He can't do anything at this point. God is the one holding it. It was an unconditional covenant. But the deal with Jeroboam, God said, if, did you hear him when he said, if, That means this is now dependent on you. He said, if, if you obey, then I will build an enduring family. This is what made Jeroboam's offer a conditional one. It depended uh, depended a lot on what Jeroboam did on his behavior. But what we're going to see later as we go down the book later on is Jeroboam, he's going to disobey, he's going to totally blow it. But now there in verse 39, the Lord said he would afflict David's descendants, but not forever. This affliction is, there's going to come an end to this affliction when it would be fulfilled in one of David's descendants when Jesus Christ came onto the scene. And that's going to be taken care of there. So now that Jeroboam was set to take the kingdom, news of this apparently had reached King Solomon's ears that that Jeroboam was taking it. How do you think Solomon's going to react to this? Probably not very good. (laughs) 1 Kings eleven forty, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Something interesting about Shishak is later he's going to attack Judah during the time when Solomon's son Rehoboam would reign as king over Judah in Jerusalem. So we've got these adversaries just popping out of holes all over the place. I want to show you that, uh, the proof of that in Second Chronicles 12 and 2. It says, And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Shishak didn't just say one day, You know what, I'm mad. I think I'm going to go attack these guys. He was triggered by God to do it. Jeroboam is brought up by God to be an adversary. The other two guys we read earlier in the chapter last, last week, they were brought up by God. It literally says the Lord raised them up. Americans have a hard time understanding that God actually raises adversaries up against his own people. 
We've got to understand that because he really wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. So a lot of adversaries being raised up by the Lord and even Shishak would become an adversary also to be instruments of God's judgment against Solomon for following after false gods. How many of you feel like following a false god after you get out of here today? After reading this, not me. I don't want to do it. It'll get you in trouble. 1 Kings eleven forty one. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So I I was just talking to Mike about Jeroboam, Rehoboam, we're getting mixed up with these guys with similar names. I just think of it as Rehoboam is the one that replaced Solomon. I just go Rehoboam. So we're going to, I don't want you to get mixed up, Rehoboam, Jeroboam here. It's the best I can do, take it or leave it, okay? So... (laughs) So Jeroboam, he was about to rule how many tribes? Ten. Ten tribes of Israel in the north. And then Rehoboam would rule Judah in the south. This means there's about to be a divided kingdom. What a big mess. To think that all of this could have been avoided. It could have been avoided if he had just followed God. Now, you don't point at Solomon. Oh, you Solomon, point at you. What about the messes I got? Could this have been avoided if I had just done what God told me to do? If Solomon had just obeyed the Lord and not turned to other gods. Now, Solomon ruled for 40 years. That's the same length of time that David did. But it wasn't the same integrity as David's reign. And Solomon's life, it kind of came to a tragic end. I'm not discounting the good things that Solomon wrote in the Bible. I'm not trying to make him into a villain. I'm just sticking to what the text is showing me. Now, it's kind of interesting when I read this here. It it almost seems like the writing about Solomon got cut off because suddenly we're told to refer over to this book of the Acts of of Solomon, this other book. If you want to find out what the rest Solomon did, we're shutting it down in the Bible. Go to that other book and find it there. Go, go get it in that other book. It's like it got so bad. It's time to cut off the recording of it. There's another book. Go read that if you want to see what he did. Because I'm pretty sure a lot of what he did wasn't good from there on. Remember, guys, he was building worship centers for false gods. Now, don't discount the wonderful things that Solomon did author in the Bible, okay? But running after other gods does not seem to have brought the end of Solomon's life to a good place. It came to a tragic end. Now, I'm sure he was given a good king's burial, and I just can only imagine what that might have looked like. He was buried in uh, the city of David. But what's sad about this, too, is that Solomon had the wisdom. He had the wisdom. He could have done better with all the temptations that he had from his wife to build these worship centers for false gods, turning away from God. He knew the term. Solomon had the wisdom. He could have done better. And I think, Solomon... Why didn't you do better with what you had? And then God goes, Ray, why don't you do better with what you have? You ever been put in that spot? Can we not do better with what we have? But Solomon simply chose not to. But in reviewing Solomon's life, there's several great things we can learn from Solomon. The first thing that comes to mind is do not turn away from God. Be adamant about keeping your mind focused on God. You get off in the TV set, you get off in the video games, you get off in the other things. Etch a sketch, shake your head and clear, 
come back. Sorry, God got off distracted. Sorry about that. That's what David did. God did not fault him for that. David messed up, but David always said, I have sinned. I'm sorry. I'm back. Let's, let's get tracking again. Don't turn away from God. The second thing is that we learn from Solomon's life is that God will equip you for your calling. And I say that with, how do I put it? Maybe not pain, but just, I don't, a sense of, I don't deserve it unworthiness. Guys, of all the people in this building that should be standing here speaking as a pastor, I am the least guy that should be, I shouldn't be here. I know what I've done, but God has equipped me to do this work. God will equip you for your calling. God gave Solomon wisdom. He gave him wealth, everything that Solomon needed to rule Israel with. Remember, that's how he got it. Solomon said, Lord, give me what I need to rule these people well. And the Lord says, here you go. And he gave it to him. Same goes for you. Your calling, God will equip you for it. But probably the biggest lesson that we learn from Solomon is that just because you started out really good with the Lord, that doesn't automatically mean you're going to finish good. I've seen a lot of people start off great and then have a little bit of a downward decline and then ran themselves straight in the dirt. And also, guys, just because somebody runs in the dirt doesn't mean they never had a point where they started out good. But it doesn't mean you're going to finish well just because you started off good. Solomon started off really good, but then he got tempted and he fell off into sin. Solomon was ordered by God. One of the things he did wrong was do not do business with Egypt. Don't do business with your former oppressor. And even though Solomon was already super rich, he had lots of wealth. What he did was he did business with Egypt to gather up more wealth for himself. And there was specific things written in the law that God said, no king of Israel shall accumulate wealth for himself and build for himself. And that's exactly what Solomon did. It became a, I want more, I want more, I want more. And friends, when you think like that, when you think I got to have more stuff, I got to have more money. And it's, you know what? It's never enough. Solomon was super rich. He didn't have enough. He still tried. He went to an, a former oppressor. God said, don't go there. And he did business with bad people that God, God said, don't do that because it was just never enough. That happens in our world right now. That's what all that argument out there is all about. It's everybody wants what they want for me. I want what I want for me. And it causes wars. I want you to look at 1 Timothy 6, 9. It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's a snare. It's a trap, like a wolf. He gets his, that little snapper, grabs his leg, and he can't get out of it. That's what wanting more will do to you. So who here wants to be rich? <laughs> this isn't, being rich is not the sin. It's wanting more. It's the love of it is the problem. If this is you, always about yourself. What can I get more for me? I want more of this and I want that. Guys, you are headed for trouble. Oh, but I started out so good in the Lord. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, Solomon gave his life and he went down. Just because you start out well doesn't mean you end up, end up well. Be careful. Don't get caught in this trap. People that have that kind of lust, people that come along with that lust beside you like Solomon's wives did, they will pull you into it. Be careful of the company you keep. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.